Good to see my friend Charles. He's supposed to be at work. Uh, I don't know if anybody knows that he's not there. Uh, <laughs> good to have you, my friend. Good to have you. He just stopped me on my way to church, and he said, ah, I'm not going to be able to make it. I'm playing hooky. Uh, but you're playing hooky for church. That's not a bad thing, I guess. That's right. That's not a bad thing. Um, so a year ago now, almost a year ago now, I, um, I went to get some, uh, take a, a course, what have you, I don't know what you call it really, uh, to become, to, to learn more about professional Christian coaching. Uh, and so I, I went a year ago and I got certified as a professional Christian coach. And, and uh, all that really does, it teaches you how to listen and how to ask good questions, better questions, right? Um, and so over this last year, I've been meeting with people and uh, pastor, other pastors, just Christian folk or just, just people in general who, who had questions about life and, and wanted, some, wanted a place to go and talk, work things out. And so uh, I've been doing that. And over this past year, I've learned some important life lessons just from the stories of other people. That's how you know a good story, right? If it has a, a, good, if it has a good lesson in it, right? And so over this last year, I've learned some really good lessons. Not that they weren't new, but, but I was reminded of them again, and I've, I've written them down, right? I want to share some of them with you today. One is there's always another option. When you think there's no, no there's always another option. Always. Second, confidence comes when you take action. You may be unsure, but you're not confident until you take a step, and once you, once you commit enough to take a step, then it feels like, okay, I can do this. Confidence comes with taking action. Third one is clarity comes with execution. You're not sure if it's going to work even. But if you take the step, because you're, you're going to build up enough confidence to take the step, you, you figure it out along the way, sort of. Clarity comes with execution. You, take, you cut away what does, you don't need. Like today's worship service, probably some things we're already going to change for next week because we see how things didn't quite work the way we, wanted, we thought they would in, in our heads. Clarity comes from execution. Fourth one, no is a complete sentence. Church, some of us need to understand that one. No is a complete sentence. You don't need to explain why. Just no. No, it's a it, period. And that's all right. Another one, be flexible. Boy, did I learn that by listening to other people. You've got to be flexible. I'm not always the most flexible person. My wife would attest to that. But boy, have I, I've been learning that. Or maybe I haven't learned the lesson yet, but I'm learning it. Another one is ask for help. Another one is trust the, per, the process. With, trust the process. It doesn't, doesn't look like, I don't know how that will work, but just trust do the hard things and trust that it's going to work. And the last one that I learned that many people shared with me is failure is actually a blessing many times. That they fail in one area, that it actually becomes a blessing in another area that they could have never imagined. But they wouldn't have, if, they, if that hadn't messed up, I'd have never done this. Failure becomes a blessing. Failure in one thing becomes a blessing in something else. Many of you have lived these out, right? We've experienced these. But man, do we pack them away and not ever remember them. Actually, I had them all here on the screen to kind of go through, and I forgot about it because I was so eager to share them with you. <clears throat> We're going to look at a story today that also, like I learned from stories of other people, I believe we can learn from the stories that Jesus told best of all. Today, we're going to, uh, because that's what good stories do, they teach great lessons, and Jesus was a fantastic storyteller. But they only teach us if we're willing to learn. <laughs> you know that? Teachers can only teach you, right, Terry? If you're willing to learn. If you're not willing to learn, the best teacher in the world can't teach you anything. 
There has to be a willingness to learn. And I pray that we're ready, that we're willing to learn as we read some of these stories that Jesus taught that have powerful lessons, I believe, for us as the church, for us as families, for us as individuals today in the year 2023. Amen? 2023. Who'd have thunk it? Wow. Wow. But let's go back before we get started too much. Let's go back and remember that, that Dr. Luke, what was he writing for? Chapter 1, verse 1, 2 of, of the Gospel of Luke tells us why Dr. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. It was to provide an orderly account of the life of Jesus. He, was, he, was, he wanted to tell the story of Jesus in a way that made sense. He had to connect in the dots for people. So, so, so he intentionally told stories in particular places. To connect things. So, so what that means is he organized it. Each scene feeds off of the one before it. I guess as you're looking at it, it feeds off the one before it, and it, it, it matters to the one that's coming next, right? Each scene, like we look at a scene, but it's important because of the stuff that just happened, and it's going to be important to what's coming up. And so when you look at especially the Gospel of Luke, he's telling a story of Jesus' life, and it's all connected. And so when we read today's text in, in chapter 18, we've got to remember what happened back in chapter 17. And I know this seems like a lifetime ago to some of you, right? Jamie and Elizabeth are like, y'all are still in the Gospel of Luke? <laughs> yes, we really are. <laughs> chapter 18, right? We haven't gotten far since you left. But, that's, but it's still connected. It's, it's connected. The kingdom of God is what we were talking about in chapter 17. A few things we... We learned about the kingdom of God in chapter 17. Three of them. First is that the kingdom of God is both now and not yet. It's, it's right now, and it's not completely now. Right now, back then, Jesus was in their midst. So the kingdom of God was right now, back then, because Jesus was there. He was in the midst of their healing, their forgiving, their restoring. He was right now to them. 2,000 years ago. And he's right now for us because he's at work. He's transforming some of your lives. So the kingdom of God is happening. It's breaking out right now, right around us. We see it. We see it. We know it. People are healed. People are forgiven. Lives are changed. Now, that's the kingdom of God breaking in. Colossians 1.13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. He's when he saves us, he brings us into his kingdom. His kingdom starts for you at the moment of salvation. And just like they were then part of the kingdom, so we are now. But it's not complete, right? We understand that the kingdom of God is to come. When Jesus comes back, that's going to be when the kingdom of God, right? That's when it's all going to be made right. That's when it's going to be brought to its fullness. Revelation 11. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet. There was a loud voice in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever and ever and ever. Right? So we know it's now and it's not yet. The kingdom of God is also wherever God reigns. Wherever, anywhere, everywhere that God reigns. Just like an earthly kingdom, right? Wherever the king had authority, that was the kingdom of the king. Same for God. His kingdom is only limited by his authority. But the kingdom isn't so much a geographic space as it is a spiritual space. 
where, where in our hearts and minds he rules. So, so let me ask you, where in your heart, where in your mind does God have authority? Overall? The kingdom of God is known because of its people are, who are subjects of God. If God reigns over your life, then you're his subject. And you live your life in accordance with his will. And, and that's, you are a subject of God and, and his, you are part of the kingdom in that way. And finally, we know that the king rewards a kingdom life. The, the kingdom of God, our king, doesn't simply demand allegiance. He doesn't say, he doesn't just demand it. He asks for it. See, God knows that, that how foreign it is to our human nature to obey. <laughs> it's been the story since the very beginning. But those who live the life that he asks will be rewarded. Scripture tells again and again and again. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. He says, I've been faithful. I've been living the life that he asked me to, that he called me to. And then in verse 8 he said, Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward to me on that day. Not only to me, but also all who have longed for his appearing. I'm going to be rewarded, he says, because of my faithfulness, because I've done what he asked me to do. I've been faithful to that, and he's going to be faithful to me. That's the background of the kingdom of God that we were talking about before we stopped for, for Advent. How do we live here and now as part of how do we live the life of the kingdom in a manner that's worthy of god how do we live like that now today in the year 2023 great question and jesus provides us three stories in today's text three stories in luke chapter 18 verses 1 to 17 three little short stories that i think each one of them tell us important elements to living the life of the kingdom that he calls us to in, in chapter 17. The first one. Three of these lessons for the kingdom life. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared for what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that you, they get justice, and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He said, well, will I find some people doing this, actually? Will I find people being this persistent? Will I find people living that persistent life in prayer and in, in faithfulness? You see, the judge here was probably an appointed ruler by, or appointed by Herod or or Rome, one of the two. And he was just part of the system that was against this widow. She was experiencing the world as it was against her. 
but, and her only hope was a misguided judge. Her only hope was a corrupt system. And she had persistence. She, had, she didn't give up. She didn't quit. The judge realized that, that if he's going to continue to ignore this woman, then it's, it's going to go bad. His reputation is going to be ruined because he's not one to, to do his job. But unlike the self-serving judge, God, God hears and God acts on behalf of, the script, as Luke recorded, his chosen ones who consistently and persistently call on him to help in times of need. So let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, Hebrews 4 says, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The kingdom life requires persistence. It's going to require some, in, some divine persistence. It's going to require us to live the kingdom life. It's going to require you to not give up. See, delays in God's provision, actually, they, they don't show that God doesn't care. What they, sh what they show us is that we need God's provision. When God delays, it makes us yearn for it more. Not think, oh, God doesn't care, but those in the kingdom know, oh, my Lord, I need him, I need him, I need him. You get more desperate for God to work because you're desperate for his provision. For us to see again, all we need is him. To never, so we never give up. I used to have a t-shirt years ago, and I wish I could find it because I loved it. It was a picture of a, uh, a what was it, Michelle? A, a stork or something like that? Uh, a heron? Or I guess it was a heron. I don't know. I guess I call, it, I call them storks back then. But, but it was a picture of a stork, and he had a frog in his mouth, and the frog was, had his hands out of the side of his mouth, and he was choking him. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> yeah, the frog was not giving up. He was not going to get swallowed by the stork it was uh but yeah that, that's the the image that always comes to my mind is do not give up don't let it go because it's any good for you if you let it go don't quit hebrews chapter 11 32 to 43 it's this way what more shall i say the writer says i do not have time to tell about gideon barak samson jephthah and david and samuel and all the other prophets he says who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury with flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weaknesses were turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies. I don't have time to tell you about all these people. I don't have time to tell you about the women who received back their dead, raised to new life. I don't have time to tell you about the ones who were tortured, the ones who were refused to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. I don't even have time to tell you about the ones who faced jeers and flogging and chains and, oh, let me get started about the ones who were in prison. I don't have time to tell you about all of them. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They, were, they went about in sheepskin and goatskins, destitute, persecuted. They were mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered around in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. I don't have time to tell you about the fact that they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what was promised. Since God had planned something better for us to experience, the Spirit of God to be alive in us, it was for us, you see, not for those people who gave up everything to experience what you and I get given to us. 
given to us. And he says, because you've been given what people died for, don't give up on it. Hold on to it. Be persistent about your faith. Don't just, don't just take it or leave it. No, hold on tight. Be persistent. Just like the widow. Don't give up. Because the world's against you. Second, he tells another story. To some who were confident in their own righteousness, they looked down on everyone else. Jesus told them this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like, sorry, I'm getting behind. God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even that tax collector over there. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like them. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is a story of, of the stark contrast between two people that, that, well, one that everyone would revere, the Pharisee. Everyone would look up to their, their faith, their righteousness. And the one everyone despised, the tax collector. I don't know who those people would be in your life. The one that you, always, you would just assume the best out of and the one with, that you would assume the worst out of. I was coming up with all sorts of parallels that I might use, but I, you have your own. I have mine. But the story shows us that God raises up those who don't, don't look like they're righteous, but who are right, who come to Him in humility. Who come to God in humility. The repentant one who stood away from the crowd, right? Wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, beat his chest and say, Oh God, forgive me. He was asking for atoning grace. That's the word that's used there, right? Is, uh, it's in the Septuagint, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, they use the word kippur, right? Which is the day of atonement. Yom Kippur. So what he's saying is that, 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 that there is... It's not, just a, it's not just a gift of grace. It's a sign of mercy. That it had, something had to be done for him. That's where we get the idea of propitiation, that God paid the penalty. He, Jesus became the penalty for our sin. That he died for us. That's, that's what he's talking about here. That something had to be done. Please, Lord, do something for me. The story teaches us about how we see and approach one another, you see. What's the right hierarchy in our world? How do we approach each other? The one naturally revered was actually the one, not the one who was honored by God. The one who was naturally despised on earth was actually the one who was honored with God's mercy. Humility towards one another. Personal humility. That's, that's the life lesson for the kingdom. That's how we are to live towards one another. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 5 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition, but vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Look, now, don't look to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. 
in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset. Get this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. What? What? I'm supposed to think of you like Jesus. What would Jesus do? You remember that old bracelet? It's actually for real, for real. Like that's how we're supposed to think of each other. How would Jesus see you? That's how I'm supposed to see you because he's alive in me. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says, For by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but, than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Think of yourself not so highly, but think of yourself soberly. Soberly. Don't, don't lift yourself up. Don't be so quick to pat yourself on the back. But in the kingdom... A kingdom way of living is to think less of yourself and more of your brother, your sister. More of them, less of me. Boy, have I had that lesson over the last couple of weeks. Man, I've been, I've been thinking about this text for a long time. Y'all are just now thinking about it, but I've been, God has been bringing before me all kinds of situations where I need to put others first in all sorts of ways that, frankly, make me uncomfortable. Jesus wasn't finished teaching these life lessons, so he's got one more. It's short. People were also bringing babies to Jesus. Of course, Jesus loves a baby. This is the picture we always see, right? Jesus sitting on the stool, and, and people is gathered, surrounded by little children. They were bringing babies to Jesus for him to place hands upon them, pray a blessing over these children. When the disciples saw this, his defenders, they said, they, they rebuked the kids, the families. I'm assuming that they didn't fuss at the babies. I'm assuming that they barked at their parents. I'll just give them credit for that much anyway. <clears throat> Not looking, uh, I'm sorry. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. What's he talking about here? First thing, notice that the disciples are just doing what they're supposed to do, right? They're supposed to defend Jesus. The, the disciples are doing what they thought was the right thing, defending the kingdom, as it were. Jesus, the king. But let me ask you this. Does the kingdom of an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-ever-present God really need that much of our defense? Does it really? I mean, I've often thought about that, that, that how my... How my uh, what is it called? Your hackles? What, what's it called when you're like you're, you're, you get hackles? Thank you, hackles. When your hackles get all get up, right? I don't even know what that means, but I know that that's what it is. But but when when somebody argues with you about your a, a theological thing, right? I know how that. Oh boy, does that get me? Does, do I need to defend God? No, He doesn't really need my defense. I need to like calm down, right? But these were babies that Luke is talking to. These are babies that God, that Luke is talking to. We assume that parents brought them, but let me ask you, what does a baby deserve? What does a baby really deserve? I mean, was, was there anything that the baby could do to show their appreciation? I mean, had the baby done anything to, to deserve getting Jesus to, put, to Jesus to lay his hands on them? Did they, had they done anything to earn that? I mean, could they earn anything to, to do anything? Like, a baby can't earn anything, right? They're totally dependent upon us. And we love it, <laughs> actually. 
we love providing for them. When people give you a baby to hold, right? Babies, they don't put on the game face, right? They just bring you whatever they got. Sometimes it winds up on your shirt, <laughs> in your lap. It doesn't matter. They just bring it, right? They're, they're not saying, oh, this is somebody, this is my aunt who brings me great presents. I better be nice. No, they just say, ah! They don't care. Babies are like that. They come to you just as they are. Just as they are. Not expecting anything. All they want is to be held, to feel safe and secure, to be loved. Babies are honest, transparent. Jesus says, just like that is how you receive the kingdom of God. Just like that. Just like a baby. Tells us, come with spiritual humility. The, the life lesson here is spiritual humility. Humility before God. Be humble before God. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourself before God and he'll lift you up. That is the way of the kingdom. That if we want to live empowered by God, then we need to humble ourselves before God. If we want this to be his world, if we want this community to be his community, if we want this church to be his church, then we best humble ourselves before God. Humble ourselves and then allow him to lift us up. It's his world. We just live in it. It's his kingdom. It really is not about us. As I was reading this morning's devotion, if you follow along on the, the Version uh, Bible app, if you have that thing on your if you don't have it on your phone, there's a link in the bulletin today, uh, the, the little picture, you just snap that picture, it'll take you right to it, it'll put it on your phone, and you'll be good to go. You can join us in reading the scriptures. There's a group of us that read the Bible every day, and, and it's uh, today, and today's reading, it ended with this, it's your Paul David Tripp, or Paul Allen Tripp, or whatever, He's, it's his devotion this week, or for the next 15 days, I guess. And he concludes the, the reading this way, he says, let's start the new year by admitting that there is nothing less natural for us than to live for the glory of another. This admission is the doorway not to despair, but to hope. God knew that in, you, in your sin, you would never live this way. So he sent his son to live the life you couldn't, to die on your behalf, to rise again, conquering sin and death. He did this so that you would not only be forgiven your allegiance to your own glory, but you would have every grace you need to live for his glory. When you admit your need for help, you connect yourself to the rescue that has already been provided in His Son, Jesus. Reach out for hope by reaching out for the rescue again today. Divine persistence towards the world that is broken. We lean into the brokenness in this world. We don't, we don't repel against it. We lean, the church leans into it. Knowing that God is at work. Humility towards one another. Knowing that, that you don't understand all things. I don't really know what's going on in people's hearts and minds and lives. So I'm going to have humility towards one another. And then humility before God. Knowing that He is the true King. The only King. So in a new year, 
I invite you to have a new approach, a new approach to life, to live the kingdom way. And then in that, we'd become like a new church, each of us, as the body of Christ. We'd be a new church. <clears throat> We're going to do something we, I don't know if we've ever done here since I've been serving here in, in Rock Hall. Uh, when you came in today, did, you get, did everybody get one of the, um, the covenant prayers? Everybody get that? Um, did y'all get one up there? Chris, can we have some up here, please? Need a, need a couple. Janet needs one. I need one. <laughs> Paul needs one back there. <clears throat> So this was, uh, the covenant renewal service was part of Wesley's uh, start of the church. <clears throat> and it's, a, it's renewing our covenant before God. So I'd invite us to do this together, but uh, while we're going to read it here, it's going to take more than just a once through for you, right? It's going to take some time for you to read this. That's why you have a copy that you can take home. I'd encourage you, sign it, date it, put it in your Bible. Uh, hang on to it. Go back and read it again because, well, as you'll see, there's plenty of reason to read it again and again. If you join me. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Commit yourselves to Christ as his servants. Give yourselves to him that you may belong to him. Christ has many services to be done. Some are more easy and honorable. Others are more difficult and disgraceful. Some are suitable to our inclinations and interests. Others are contrary to both. In some, we may please Christ and please ourselves, but then there are other works where we cannot please Christ except by denying ourselves. It's necessary, therefore, that we consider what it means to be a servant of Christ. Let us, therefore, go to Christ and pray. Be your servant under your command. I will no longer be my own. I will give up myself to your will in all things. Be satisfied that Christ shall give you your place and work. Lord, make me what you will. I put myself fully into your hands. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and willingly Give it all to your pleasure and disposal. Christ will be the Savior of none but his servants. He's the source of all salvation to those who obey. Christ will have no servants except by consent. Christ will not accept anything except full consent to all that he requires. Christ will be all in all or he will be nothing. Com confirm this by a holy covenant. To make this covenant a real reality in your life, listen to these admonitions. First, Set apart some time, more than once, to be spent alone before the Lord in seeking earnestly God's special assistance and gracious acceptance of you, in carefully thinking through all the conditions of this covenant, in searching your hearts whether you have already freely given your life to Christ, even. Consider what your sins are. Consider the laws of Christ, how holy, strict, and spiritual they are, and whether you after having carefully considered them, 
are willing to choose them all. Be sure you are clear in these matters. See that you do not lie to God. Second, that was a long first one, wasn't it? There was a lot in that first one. We could spend a lot of time in that first one. Second, be serious and in a spirit of holy awe and reverence. Third, claim God's covenant. Rely upon God's promise of giving grace and strength so you can keep your promise. Trust not on your own strength and power. Fourth, resolve to be faithful. You have given to the Lord your hearts. You have opened your mouths to the Lord and you have dedicated yourself to God. With God's power, never go back. And last, be then prepared to renew your covenant with the Lord. Fall down on your knees. Lift your hands towards heaven. Open your hearts to the Lord as we pray. And I would encourage you that if you want to change your posture right now, if you want to kneel, if you want to stand and lift your hands as we pray this, uh, I invite you to do that uh, just as an, an act of worship and obedience. I'm, I will, uh, and I invite you to as well. Don't feel like you have to stay seated and just bow your head. You can, you can move around and change your posture as you feel led. O righteous God, for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, see me as I fall down before you. Forgive my unfaithfulness in not having done your will, for you have promised mercy to me if I turn to you with my whole heart. God requires that you shall put away all your idols. I hear from the bottom of my heart, renounce them all, covenanting with you that no known sin shall be allowed in my life. Against your will, I have turned my love toward the world. In your power, I will watch all temptations that will lead me away from you. For my own righteousness is riddled with sin, unable to stand before you. Through Christ, God has offered to be your God again, if you would let Him. Before all heaven and earth, I here acknowledge you as my Lord and God. I take you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for my portion and vow to give up myself, body and soul, as your servant, to serve you in holiness and righteousness all the days of my life. God has given the Lord Jesus Christ as the only way and means of coming to God. Jesus, I do here on bended knee accept Christ as the only new and living way, and sincerely join myself in a covenant with Him. O blessed Jesus, I come to You, hungry, sinful, miserable, blind and naked, unworthy even to wash the feet of Your servants. I do here with all my power, accept You as my Lord and Head. I renounce my own worthiness and vow that You are the Lord my righteousness. I renounce my own wisdom and take you for my only guide. I renounce my will and take your will as my law. Christ has told you that you must suffer with him. I do here covenant with you, O Christ, to take my lot with you as it may fall. Through your grace, I promise that neither life nor death shall part from you. God has given holy laws as the rule of your life. I do here willingly put my neck under your yoke to carry your burden. All your laws are holy, just, and good. I therefore 
take them as the rule for my words, thoughts, and actions, promising that I will strive to order my whole life according to your direction and not allow myself to neglect anything I know to be my duty. The Almighty God searches and knows your heart. O oh God, You know that I make this covenant with You today without guile or reservation. If any falsehood should be in it, guide me and help me to set it aright. And now, glory be to You, Father, whom I from this day forward shall look upon as my God and Father. Glory be to You, O God the Son, who have loved me and washed me from my sins in Your own blood. And now is my Redeemer, Savior and Redeemer. Glory be to You, O God, the Holy Spirit, who by Your mighty power have turned my heart from sin to God. O mighty God, the Lord, omnipotent Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, You have now become my covenant friend. And I, through Your infinite grace, have become Your covenant servant. So be it. And let the covenant I have made on earth be ratified in heaven. powerful prayer, I invite you to um, take it home with you and make it, make it a part of your worship for this week, come for this month, for forever. Uh, allow it to be part of your personal worship, to revisit that. Um, sign it, put it somewhere where you'll see it. <clears throat> revisit it again and again. <clears throat> 